So meditation uses silence and or fewer words, and meditation is intentional about holding the space for listening for God's still, small voice. Hi there, friends. This is episode 69 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast, and Happy New Year. This is coming out on New Year's Day, January 1st, 2019. My name is Matt Bruff. I'm a pastor and an author and the host of this show. And today I have uh, back on the show again, Dana Trent. Um, She's talking today about Christian meditation and everything that that's about. Um, She has a new book coming out today on that very subject. And uh, so we get all into that, and I highly recommend going and checking out uh, her work, especially if this is something that might be new to you or you're unsure about. Um, It's a great primer on um, how we might use, incorporate, and understand meditation from a Christian perspective. So um, if you're at all hesitant about it, this is a great place to start. Dana is a a wonderful person to introduce you to uh, the ideas behind meditation from a Christian perspective. So I highly encourage that. Um, Today is going to be a really short intro. We're going to get right into this interview. Uh, Once again, if you are enjoying these podcasts and want to leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. You can also go and find all of the back episodes at spiritualityforordinarypeople.com. And I'm really hoping that in the new year, um, I can continue to bring you some uh, good guests and uh, some great uh, new content coming on this podcast. Um, But for now, you can just enjoy this interview with Dana Trent. Today on the podcast, I have uh, Dana Trent back on the podcast. It is so great to have you uh, on the show again, Dana. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's great to be back. Yeah. So last time you were here, which really was not that long ago, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, we talked about Sabbath and uh, you have a fantastic book about that. But today we're going to talk about uh, meditation Mm -hmm. and and a new book that you have coming out on January 1st, Mm -hmm. 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those who are listening to this way in the future, yeah, so that's coming out really soon, at least from when we're talking and when this is going out. Yeah. And I want to just tell people the title of that book because it's an awesome title. Oh, thank you. One, one Breath at a Time, A Skeptic's Guide to Christian Meditation. Mm-hmm. So when I read that that was going to be your title, I thought, okay, you have to come back on the podcast to talk about this because spirituality for ordinary people. <laughs> I know there's people who listen to this going, ah, I don't know, a meditation, really? And, mm-hmm. uh, and I was probably one of those people several years ago that would just sort of, um, people can't see my face, but I'm kind of like, as though I'm eating a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's a, that is tr- perfectly okay. Cause I was the same way. Yes. Very yeah. skeptical about this practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in what way, in what way were you a skeptic, uh, before kind of going into this? I was a skeptic in two ways. So the first was that I grew up Southern Baptist, which is a denomination that does not meditate. We pray like crazy. We love to pray. We love extemporaneous prayer. We love prayer formulas, but contemplative, quiet, be still practices are are not our bag at all. So that was the first way. The second way is because of that upbringing, because of my chatty Kathy prayer life, I was not confident at all that I could sit still 
for more than 30 seconds and be still and listen for God. So those were the two ways I was skeptical. Now, what's interesting about this is that I didn't necessarily know that about myself. The publisher named this book and they named it for me after reading the first draft. And I thought that is brilliant because that's right. I, I was and am still skeptical of my ability to meditate. Now, a year and a half later, now that it's the draft is finalized and it's ready to come out. I am confident. I feel better about where I am in terms of contemplative practices, but I think it's good to start from a skeptical point of view because that also keeps us humble and it keeps us beginners. And Thomas Merton says that we will never be anything but beginners at the spiritual life. So that's good to remember. So when you wrote this, you're saying when you wrote this, you were still pretty skeptical of Mm -hmm. Christian meditation. I was absolutely. And and the inciting incident that starts the book that launches the reader is the death of my mother, which occurred suddenly. She um, got a sudden illness and died two weeks later. And I went to my therapist to talk about these trauma nightmares I was having after being in the hospital and hospice with her for two weeks. And my therapist said, you should, you should try meditation. And I just thought, I really want to slap you, but I've got, (laughs) I've got to compose myself. Um, But she was what she was coming at it from a physiological point of view. So in that way, I was skeptical. But when I told my publisher that story, they said, wait a second, there's something here. There's more to the story. And so that's when it all began to unfold this larger picture of growing up Baptist and prayer life. And can Christians actually do these contemplative practices, especially Protestant Christians? So that was the big question. Yeah, actually, while we're, while you're kind of going to that, we can maybe come back to the to the medical side of things and why your therapist would have recommended that. I'd love to come back to that, but also just on the objection side, I, I know um, you address this in the book as well as, you know, is meditation Christian? Like it's right in the, in the subtitle anyway, uh, Christian meditation. Some might say, well, that's either an oxymoron or really those two words just don't belong together. Um, And I know my own objection was less about that and a little more about, well, if that is Christian, I'm not that kind of Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. uh, And it's kind of airy, like that's, that stuff is airy fairy. And Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. Just give me, just give me the Bible and, and uh, you know, prayer. Let's use the Lord's prayer as our model, what we're going to say to God. Um, And that's, that's enough. Like, Hey, that's fine. Um, right. But this stuff is kind of airy fairy, or potentially like not really Christian. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that is certainly that's the other side of it. So that's the more scholarly, academic, critical thinking approach. Certainly, that is is this practice that is rooted in Eastern traditions. Is it applicable to Christianity? And is it Christian? As in, does it show up in Scripture? Right, because yep. especially if you're Protestant, that is you know, everything comes from that for us. We are, we are driven by scripture. We base everything off of scripture. And, and so for us, it's a question of, does it show up? And so I also had to start there. So once I had the inciting incident, I thought, well, you know, the why of something sustains the how, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a theologian, I needed to backtrack and say, hmm, is this really in scripture? Is it in early church history? Is it part of our theology? Is it part of doctrine? Where does it show up in the church? And so I spend the first couple of chapters of One Breath at a Time 
explaining to the reader what I come, what I came across, which is all of this research and all of my sort of reviewing all of my notes from seminary. And it turns out that if you look at it linguistically, meditation, the word that we now know as meditation does show up in Hebrew and Greek scriptures and then later in the Latin Bible. And so we have a strong case for it in scripture because sort of the original meaning is to ponder, to study, to reflect upon. And so then the question becomes, did Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane ponder, reflect upon his fate, his destiny, his sacrifice, his relationship with God, his connection with God the Father? Absolutely. The Garden of Gethsemane is probably the strongest case we have. It shows up in all the Synoptic Gospels. We're constantly seeing Jesus retreat to solitary and quiet places to be still with God. And so we, I, I needed to dig. I needed to dig and find that. And then it shows up again in church history as well. So I, I was like you and that I needed to know, is it in scripture? And if so, where do we find it? Yeah. And now can we, can we kind of just say more about um, like, what is meditation? Mm-hmm. Probably should start. Sure, you know, that's a great question. That, <laughs> that's a wonderful question. That's the question also that I stumbled across. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between meditation and prayer? That's a wonderful foundational question. So when I came after reading all the literature, the conclusion that I came to was that prayer is about talking to God, talking to God. Meditation is about listening for God. So meditation uses silence and or fewer words. And meditation is intentional about holding the space for listening for God's still small voice, which we hear about in scripture. So that is the main difference between the two. Okay. I think sometimes people kind of just have a picture in their mind of, uh, you know, if you say the word meditation, they'll have a certain picture in their mind, which might be influenced, say, through uh, an Eastern religion, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, um, or might just even be a secular version of meditation, like a non-religious version of meditation, where, um, like, I know it's pretty popular, actually, amongst Mm -hmm. uh, business writers even talking about, oh, you know, I'm more productive because I take 10 minutes of silence and and meditate at the beginning of the day. But they're not necessarily meditating on anything in particular, (laughs) or they might have just success mantras or something like that. Like, it's that. um, And I think maybe that's where some Christians anyway might be suspicious of it saying, well, um, it's not specifically Christian because it's found in other places. So uh, I don't know if you have a response to that. I do actually. That's okay. also a great question. So if I backtrack a little bit, going back to those Southern Baptist roots, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is exactly it. The argument in in the Baptist circles was that meditation is a secular practice because based on the Eastern tradition, it is an emptying of the mind. Well, kind of, sort of, if you study it deeply. In Buddhism, it, it, there is a sense that you do empty the mind. But in Hinduism, which is actually where the tradition origi- originated, it's about returning the focus on, of the mind on the object of the meditation, which in some sects of Hinduism is God, and certainly in Christianity is the triune God. So that's really where where the crux of the matter lies. What is the intention? So if you're a business person and you need to meditate on a success mantra, your intention is going to be motivation for the day. If you're a Christian, your motivation is going to be to 
quiet the mind, still the mind, listen for God in order to return your focus to God that is the rightful center in the Christian life. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think if if there's any listeners still, they're probably either not listening or or have moved on. Um, but if there's any listeners still who are still thinking, well, no, uh, I don't know about this. Meditation is not strictly Christian, and so we shouldn't really be engaging in that. Like, I see it as actually kind of a tool or it's a method. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that like that argument is kind of the same argument as saying, well, we shouldn't really play guitars because those are played in secular venues as well, or we shouldn't play the piano. And church people have made that argument as well. Um, you know, people really objected when the organ was brought into churches because it was named the devil's instrument because it was used in places that were not the church initially. You know, so um, I think Christians can sometimes get hang-ups about these kinds of things, simply not realizing, oh, actually that's been a really helpful tool in that context, and we're going to bring this and borrow this in our context as a helpful tool to help us connect to or stay with a greater focus on God than we may have been able to without that tool. So anyway, right. That's a great analogy. Absolutely. I think we get hung up on stuff like that and then are unable to sometimes hear the rest of what someone may have to say. So, So uh, all right. Um, Why is this so important? Hmm. It's important for a couple of reasons. I mean, theologically, certainly it's got a really, it needs to be a priority in our lives. And I'll talk about the physiological side later too, why it's important in that way, but let's start with the theology. So theologically, Meditation is important, A, because it shows up in scripture. We see Jesus as a contemplative, and we've got tons of scriptural examples for that, and I list them all out in the book. And I actually take a linguistic viewpoint and parse out all of the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, and then what becomes the English word for meditation. So all of that's in there. But the importance is because, you know... We want to live the gospel as Christians. We want to we want to look to Jesus as our model, and Jesus was not particularly talkative twenty four seven, right? I mean, he balanced his talking with his community time, with his teaching, with his solitude, with his devotional, his contemplative time. So, in as much as we see him in community and interacting with others. We also see him retreating to these quiet spaces. And so for us, if, if Jesus made room for that, I mean, who do we think we are if we don't need that, right? So that's the number one reason. And the second reason is that we can't be rooted in the gospel and we can't be rooted in the will of God and God, what is God is saying to us if we don't stop to listen. Mm-hmm. And that was my issue. You know, my prayer life was all about me. The focus was me. What do I need? What am I asking for? for. And meditation instead turns the focus back to God and says, okay, God, let me make space to breathe and to hear and to listen for what I need to be doing in the world. What are you calling me to do? So that's the difference. That's the number one. Yeah. We, we asked that question uh, the other week at a, a young adult gathering. We were looking at a few stories in Luke and, um, you know, Jesus is is pretty busy. Jesus is doing an awful lot of stuff, um, healing people, teaching, preaching, calling his first disciples. We were looking at that story. And uh, I wanted them to read through to, I can't remember exactly where it is, kind of a, a place where the story naturally breaks. And it actually ends with Jesus going off by himself to pray. It doesn't give me any detail about what 
what that looks like or why he goes. So we were talking about, you know, why, why might we not um, spend that same kind of time if that's something that Jesus did was to go and find solitude and pray. And, you know, people would, it was kind of typical responses. We're busy. Um, Someone immediately said social media, which I thought was way more honest than busy. Because mm-hmm, um, totally. what are we busy doing? <laughs> right. I'm busy watching Netflix. Um, you know, so yeah. I, I and that's not to say we're not busy people. We absolutely are. But then I kind of thought, I, and we did have this conversation a bit with the young adults. It's like, well, was Jesus not busy? Like, and so mm. that's why he had time to, for solitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he probably was pretty busy. Um, so it it was a really great conversation. Um, and one of the questions we asked was, well, what do we think Jesus's prayers were like? because he's probably not going to God and saying, you know, please heal that person or please help me with this or that. Right. Because he's already just done all those healings and already really clear on what his ministry is. Mm -hmm. So what's he doing? What's, Mm -hmm. what's the content of his prayer life? We didn't really have a good answer for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we, but we kind of circled around Jesus, maybe becoming more in touch with who he was like his identity so if he really is divine, then he's spending time with God to kind of know who he is. And wouldn't that be wonderful if our prayer lives were times when, oh, every day for five minutes, at least I get to spend time with God to be reminded of who I am in God. I was like, whoa, that would be amazing. Oh, so, yes. And I think, you know, I was also reading your book at the same time as <laughs> as having these conversations with the adults. So um, that was maybe informing it a bit, but I think your book can be really helpful in opening that up for people, like actually giving them real practical tools. Um, how can I make space? But then what do I do in that space in order to hear from God and be reminded of my identity as one of his children? Mm, yes. And I love that, by the way, that's exactly what it is. That's, that's what the garden of Gethsemane contemplation is that shows up in the gospels. Um who am I and whose am I, you know, what's the, what's the calling on my life and and who do I belong to whom do I belong? So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, gosh, I was so moved by that. I forgot your question. Tell me your question again. I don't know that I had a question, (laughs) Um, but that's okay. Uh, I yeah, I want to get to the practical stuff of like, Mm -hmm. what do we actually do? Yes. Uh, And, and a good chunk of your book, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, is it half your book is really, um, kind of one chapter that, that walks us through different yes. different practices. Um, oh, but before we get to that, actually, mm-hmm. I keep doing these little teasers. We were going to talk about the physiology, medical. Yes. Let's what do are it. the because there are actual physical benefits to meditation. Like there's actually been studies done and mm-hmm. that kind yeah. of thing. So you cover some of that in the book, and it was I'd heard some of that peripherally before, but I hadn't really paid too much attention to it. And I think it's pretty significant. It is pretty significant. And I didn't know much about that either. And of course, that's what my therapist was alluding to, right? I mean, she, she yeah. knows the physiological part of it. And my brother is a doctor. And so a few months later, I said, what was she talking about? What, trying to get to the crux of this. And what is great before I get into what Ron and I talked about, my brother, 
Krista Tippett just released an episode of On Being with Dr. Doty, and he is a neurosurgeon, and he talks about this very thing. The, the name of the episode is The Magic Shop, and it'll, it refers to a story in his young life, but it's about the brain, and it's about how, and this is what Ron said as well, too. We've got two systems in our autonomic nervous system, so sympathetic and parasympathetic, and I talk about this in the book, but the sympathetic is the fight or flight system. The parasympathetic is the vagus nerve, so I I talk about Vegas, Las Vegas in the book and sort of, I imagine myself to be always in Las Vegas, right? Even though I've never been, I'm like constantly overstimulated. Well, it term, turns out that this vagus nerve that runs from our brain all the way down to our abdomen, it can send signals both ways and it controls the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our calming system. So the two systems compete against each other and they release different chemicals. And when you stimulate the vagus nerve and you build what's called your vagal tone, which Dr. Doty refers to, you actually begin to strengthen your parasympathetic nervous system. And you do that through breathing. And it's actually this deep breathing, slow breathing, slow respirations per minute that stimulate the vagus nerve. And so what happens physiologically is that once you do this deep breathing, in even as little as two weeks, Dr. Doty said, you can actually see changes at the epigenetic level. You have less inflammation in your body and less information. So you've calmed the system down. So there is something to this spiritually, theologically, but there's also something very profound going on in our bodies, which is not surprising, right? Because we are wonderfully created and every thread of our being is created by God. And so it's this perfect system that we're just beginning to understand. And there's so much we don't know, but the idea that you've got theological benefits, this is found in scripture, but you also have these deep physiological benefits where you can actually improve your body's functioning and your body's ability to calm itself when you engage in this deep breathing, which stimulates your vagus nerve. So, so cool. I was fascinated by all of that. Yeah, it's really neat. So breathing is obviously really important. I mean, we know that. <laughs> right. When someone says, slow down, take a deep breath. Yes, it's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it reminded me a couple of years ago, I was having like kind of mild anxiety mm -hmm. and um, nothing overly significant. Like, I don't think people should know, like we're not giving mental health advice here. Um, yes. <laughs> and, um, right. But I think everybody from time to time struggles with like, Oh, I'm anxious or whatever. And it was, it was happening a lot. Um, and I basically had to remind myself to breathe. Mm -hmm. And when I felt particularly anxious, just to actually stop and breathe slowly and deeply. And then the feeling would actually go away. Nothing external had actually changed. And I was, I was convinced that the solution to having my, you know, some anxiety was to get organized and have, you know, things like have my schedule clear and get to-do lists checked off. And that actually was not helpful at all. Um, being in an anxious state, trying to go through my calendar to-do list was just making it harder to get through the things. Mm -hmm. And that was just making me more anxious. Um, so I needed to deal with the feeling first. And then, then I could easily then go back to my to-do list and my calendar and be in a way better mental state to make decisions about how to tackle them. And so I was thinking about that, the, the wrong, like the opposite wave to what 
one ought to think. Um, so again, I was reminded of, of that time in my life a couple of years ago when I was looking at your book, because specifically on this part, I was thinking if, if people can be helped to know that on a daily basis, if they can practice even just the breathing part of this, um, it's going to help them very practically with whatever it is they're facing that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least that was my experience anyway. Um, no, I, so, I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. Helps us. We become more responsive instead of reactive. Yeah. I, I, you know, I see a, a big difference. And, and also this is, this is, like you said, it's been studied clinically. I, t- I cite a Japanese study in my book about they studied patients that took six slow, deep breaths and immediately, immediately right there on the spot, pulse decreased and blood pressure went down versus the control group. So we know that, you know, in terms of anxiety, we are calming the system, which then helps us focus because we know that when we're anxious, I don't know about you, but I mean, it it sounds like when also when you have anxiety, my brain is just scrambled. I can't concentrate or think about anything. Um, And so, yeah, just, just as simple as breathing, deep breathing. And which is why I start with breath meditation and which is why the book is called one breath at a time, because that's where it begins. It all starts with the breath, which is our life force. We know that from Job. We know that from Psalms. We know from Genesis that God breathed life into Adam and and Adam becomes the first human. That is our life source. So why can't we reconnect with it? I mean, just our, the very act of breathing is acknowledging that life source within us that is God. Yeah. And uh, because we can get dangerously close to being airy-fairy, um, and, I, and I'm always like this, this is one of the reasons that when I, we met, um, I think last spring, I just love mm-hmm. talking with you because you're talking about these things that might some people, at least I would have years ago said, oh, this is really like woo-woo up in the air stuff. And you're not that kind of person at all. <laughs> like you're just really like a normal kind of fun person. So, um, so I love that you're writing about this. Uh, but I'm also a huge sports fan. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you notice this, if you pay attention, if you're, if you're listening, you're a sports fan, you'll notice this with athletes as well right before a big moment, like a basketball player taking free throws, watch them breathe. Like they will stop, right? And they will, as they're bouncing the ball, they're taking a couple of breaths because the nerves are a little higher. The adrenaline is going. They need to calm themselves in order to make the perfect shots. Wow. Right? You'll see it with soccer players right before they take free kicks or penalty shots. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a break in the game. They're not running, but all eyes are on them and the nerves go up. The adrenaline goes up and they need to calm themselves down. Or like uh, the biathlon skiers, you know, they've been mm-hmm. skiing and their heart rate is high. Mm-hmm. They don't take the shots right away. With the, there's, Those are the ones who like shoot and ski. Have you seen that? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm Canadian. So, I mean, we know <laughs> this is right. the Olympics. They're, they ski and then they've got a gun and they have to shoot the targets. Right. They, they don't shoot right away. And if you ever watch that in the Olympics, they'll show you like, um, they, they sometimes have heart rate monitors on them. So they'll actually show you on the screen, like their heart rate and the athletes know like how many seconds of breathing they have to do in order for their heart rate to be low enough to make an accurate shot. (gasps) It's really cool. Who knew? Oh my goodness. And now that I have not seen that is. So, so I think like. Again, like this is kind of back to that, like, is this just like 
right. Like Keely. Right. I'm like, well, okay, top level athletes are are mm-hmm. you know using this to try to figure out how to do the best at their sport. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. That's that's not. Uh, uh, it's not up in the air stuff. Like it's actually pretty grounded. Agreed. Yes, very grounded. Yes. Okay. Thank you. All right. Can you walk us through? Like you have, uh, you give us five uh, mm-hmm. methods, and then you have a bit of a layout or a, a pattern that that you follow in the book that is just super practical. Like people can basically take your book and flip to what is it? Chapter five, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Chapter five. Yep. And and just start walking through like here are nuts and bolts. Here is actually what I would do on a particular day. And you lay out like a 40, a 40 day thing for them, but they can easily just look at one or two of those just to get a, an idea or a flavor if they want to as well. Um, so can you give us kind of the layout of, of what that pattern looks like? And also what are the five different methods that you look at? Absolutely. Thank you. So the 40 day pattern is, is the same, but the five methods are Breath meditation, centering meditation, Lectio Divina, loving kindness, and devotional meditation. So each day, so it's the five methods over eight days to make a 40-day journey because, of course, that's biblical and it's life-changing and we're in the wilderness. And so that's why we picked 40. But the breath meditation, like if you look at day one, we begin with a freedom statement and the freedom statements are all different. So there's 40 different kinds. And the idea of the freedom statement became so integral. I I think I've done this curriculum, gosh, in the past year, you know, at least, at least three times, if not more, I've gone back and forth on it a lot. So in the freedom statement, I was finding that I was getting hung up in my head and becoming judgmental. And I needed something from the beginning before I even opened the space to say, look, this is not perfection. This is about practice. So you're going to sit down and do this for three minutes and you're not going to judge yourself. So we open with the freedom statement, which is releasing the judgment. But each day it's a little different because every day we're feeling a little different. Then we open the space by doing a be still and know that I'm God exercise, then three minutes of practice, and then we close the space with that same, that same be still and know. And then once the meditation is over, I offer the reader space to do a daily Ignatian exam. And this, of course, is based on St. Ignatius. And it's it, everybody does it a little bit differently. But the way that I do it is I notice God with me. So where did I feel God's presence? I give gratitude for God's presence. I looked at what challenged me that day. Where, where did I struggle? Um, what came easily, but what didn't come easily that day? And then hope. What do I hope for for tomorrow's practice? And, you know, and I run through that every single day now and I can get it done in about four minutes. If I've got more time, I might do 10 or 15 minutes and I might journal a little more on the Ignatian examine. But the purpose of this book and as a teacher, as a professor, I wanted to write my own curriculum, like the lesson plan. But the purpose is to make it accessible because I think what happens in meditation, particularly in when you're in a spiritual tradition, is we want to make it really complicated. And I was trying my best to keep it accessible so that people wouldn't feel overwhelmed and they would just do a little bit every day because we know scientifically that that little bit makes a big difference. And then we know theologically that the little bit makes a big difference. And we can tell that by the Ignatian examine. When you go back and you look at those daily examines, that's when you see the spiritual growth and the trajectory. Mm -hmm. So that's how it's designed. 
Yeah, I think um, like this, the book could have easily been subtitled uh, A Beginner's Handbook to mm. Christian Meditation. Ooh, as, much as, as much as a skeptic's guide. I like the skeptic's guide. I think that's <laughs> good. Thank you. Um, but this is really, and it's not that it isn't like I, I I'm probably going to work through at least some of the days. I don't know if I'll do the, the full 40, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's not just like uh, people who have expertise and have done research and have done things before can absolutely use your book. Like it's great. Thank um, you. Thank you. But at the same time, if there's people listening who are like, I know I need to connect with God in my life, but I really don't know how to do it. Like the things I've been trying have not been working. I would highly recommend your book to to those folks because they can, um, they can just plug right into something. Like there's actually, they they don't have to read a lot of theory. Like even the theory you give is really accessible, Mm -hmm. but they don't have to wade through pages and pages and pages and then try to still feel like at the end of it, I'm still trying to figure something out. They can read your theory and then, have like these daily and this fits on like I think they fit on less than a page like it's mm-hmm. there's there's like quite a bit of white space on the page um, That's right so that people so can have some space to journal on the page if they want yeah to. yeah yeah but thank um, you. That's really high praise because that, I tell you, that was the, that was the goal. That was the outcome because what we didn't say is that I did go home after that therapy appointment and I did download an app and I tried the app and it was a mess. It was a Google <laughs> search in my brain. It was terrible. It be, and it, I think it was because it was on my smartphone. So yeah. I, we've sort of formulated this as the anti-app, which sounds really negative, but yeah. I do think there's something about having like you said, the white space here where I can write a few notes every day, it's really simple. Yeah. It doesn't take more than three minutes. It's just, it's right there. So yeah. it could be for beginners or people that just need to return to the practice, but they're not quite sure how they want to wade in because maybe the apps aren't working or maybe they're tired of the apps. So yeah. I really do hope this can be a tool for a lot of different kinds of people. I find that too, because I was reading off the, uh, like a, a PDF, like an e-copy. So mm-hmm. I was reading on my computer and right. the more I'm reading, I'm thinking, I really need a real copy. <laughs> like I need a physical copy of this. Yay, book. <laughs> good. Cause, Cause it just, it, that's the way it is designed is to, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's going to be an ebook available if people want to buy the ebook. That's fine. That's, that's, that's great. Right. But I think they might find, they then go and order the, the, the paperback or the, the hard, the hard copy. Um, uh, they're they're going to want that. Uh, can you just say really quickly about the daily exam? And I know you kind of walked us through what that is. I mm-hmm. think sometimes people can hear things like daily exam and think, oh, there's one of those churchy or spiritual words that I don't, that oh, sounds really yes. big and important mm-hmm. and they're, and that worries them. But it's actually a really simple exercise. Super simple. Yes. So St. Ignatius of, of Loyola is, um, let's see, 16th century. So this was a gentleman who was active in the military, came from a well-off family, but was injured and had to spend a significant portion of his young life in bed with injuries and illness. And he wasn't particularly religious to start with, but then he found that once he began reading sacred texts, as he was recovering, he found that um, a deep connection with God. And so he began writing and he began teaching others about spiritual practice. So St. Ignatius of Loyola is the first to bring to us this examine practice. And people do it all kinds of different ways. But the, the simplest word that I use for it is noticing 
I love just that word. It's about noticing what's going on around you. How are you experiencing God? Noticing what's challenging you, noticing what's energizing you, and noticing what gives you hope for returning to the practice tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that's really, you know, if we wanted to boil it down, it's really just about being present present, and noticing what's going on. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that's great about, I'm just looking on my other computer screen here so I can see your, uh, your pages. Um, the way it's laid out for people in here as well is that you give people those, the questions to do mm-hmm. in that examine. You, you have that on every single page. That's right. So yes. they don't, so the nice thing is, is if you're working with the book, you don't have to remember anything. Like mm-hmm. I, I know I've tried to engage in certain uh, spiritual disciplines or practices. And I feel like if I get off track, like if I, you know, or if I'm early on, I'm trying to remember what am I supposed to be doing? again, <laughs> And I don't know if other people have that experience, but it's like, what am I doing? Like, how does this work again? What am I doing? And then if I miss a few days, then I feel guilty. And I then feel like I have to go read and figure out like, what, what am I supposed to be doing? So I can't, again, I love this because everything is taken care of for you. Like it's just guides you through very, very simply step-by-step every single day. And there's, you don't have to do any of the extra thinking. You're only focusing. It allows you, it creates a space for you essentially to, to do the, the meditative practice um, and then lays it out. So I really commend you for that. Um, unlikely your publisher and, and other people who've worked on those kinds of things to make sure it looks good. Thank you, Matt. I really, really appreciate that. So that just means so much to me and to our team. And it, that was my editor's idea. She said, let's, let's, you know, repeat everything on every page. And it was also yeah, her idea to describe the meditation method and then launch into the practice so that once you're finished with breath meditation, then we describe centering and then you launch into it so that you haven't read it in another chapter and you've got to go back to the chapter and remember what it was. And then there's also a cheat sheet in the index. So, I mean, in the appendix. And so we've got yeah. like everything lined out for you, but yes, you're right. The daily examine has God with us, gratitude, growth, and hope. And there are questions that go along with each of those categories on every day. Thank yeah. you for pointing that out. Appreciate that. It's really good. Uh, okay. Can you tell us about, um, can we take two of them? Do you have time to look at oh, two sure. and just yeah. kind of tell us a little bit about them? Absolutely. Um, can, mm-hmm. Like, I don't know which two. Um, I want, I want to talk about loving kindness for sure. Yes. But uh, okay. cause I, cause that one was kind of surprising or new to me. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may also want to talk about either breath meditation or mm-hmm. uh, Lectio Divina or something. I think people maybe know Lectio Divina pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I find that devotional is also one that's a little bit okay. hard for folks. Mm-hmm. So, but we can, we can go in any direction you want to, but we could, let's start with loving kindness sure. and see yeah. if we end up. So loving kindness is a Buddhist practice that does originate in Buddhism. And I want to make clear that, you know, while, Christian meditation can seem like a misappropriation of Eastern practices. Going back to our argument and foundation in scripture, it makes sense why we call it Christian meditation. Loving kindness, however, is rooted in Buddhism. But the twist that I like to use with loving kindness is that Jesus is all about loving kindness, right? The gospel is 
full of this. And so, you know, it's as if Jesus and Buddha sat down and had tea and, you know, talked about this and worked it out, right? So it makes sense. It makes sense for Christians to adopt a loving kindness practice. And so, but I root it in the gospel so that it is accessible for those um, who are like, oh, I don't know about this. Right. So loving kindness is about accepting God's love, envisioning God's light enveloping us, and then taking that and spreading it out to others, right? Which is what we're called to do in the gospel. The number one commandment is love God as you love yourself and then love your neighbor, right? Love others. And so we know this. We know this is our foundation. So in loving kindness, we talk about, may I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I be at peace? And we accept God's love in all four of those sentences. And then we extend it out to somebody we love, somebody whom we adore, our partner, our spouse, our roommate, our best friend. And then we extend it out a little bit further to somebody that frustrates us, right? And this is where the growth edge comes in. Because as soon as you start to envision somebody that frustrates you, immediately you don't think love, right? You think, oh, that's my enemy. No, 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 no. I don't want to, you know, pour God's love out on them. I don't want to pour my love out on them. I want to hate, you know, that's my enemy. But Jesus says, we pray for our enemies. We love our enemies, right? Who is our neighbor? And so it's all about pushing through that, that, um, that obstacle of feeling prickly about somebody and sharing love with them instead. And then the last step is extending love and kindness to all of God's creation, because we know that God created everything in our world and it's beautiful and wonderful and it's all God's. So of course we want, God loves all of creation. So we are also commanded to do the same. I find that this is a really transformative practice because there were people in my subconscious, in my brain, in my heart that I didn't realize that I felt prickly about until I started engaging in this practice. And I thought, oh, wow, I've got some feelings around that person. Ooh, I need to work through this. But it's really useful because it's living the gospel. Again, you know, we're, we're loving people that are hard to love. There's no other, there's no other commandment that's greater than that. Mm-hmm. And Jesus shows us that. And Jesus shows us mercy and forgiveness for everyone. So that's what the loving kindness meditation does on a daily practice. Um, have you participated in that before? Have you ever done that one? I don't, I, well, I've done it accidentally. Oh, um, like I didn't <laughs> right. know, I didn't know it was a thing. Um, we actually did that with, uh, I think there was one time we did that with uh, the elders in our church. Um, so we maybe did it slightly differently where we, you would mm-hmm. basically, I mean, we didn't necessarily have the, the four statements of, you know, mm-hmm. may, may I be safe, may I be happy, healthy and be at peace, but it would be, you know, we're going to spend time praying for, pray for yourselves. We have silence. And then we would think of, we would, I would get them to think of somebody in our congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then might be somebody else in your life who's not in the congregation that you'd be praying for. So kind of like using that as a, a pattern has been a thing that I've done before, but not necessarily with those statements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The statements are helpful. They are helpful and they're easy. You, you'll find that, you know, by day four, you've memorized them. And so that's nice too. And you can kind of launch into them. And again, on your, on your one page sheets after like you've kind of described sort of what's in the, in the first part of like mm-hmm. just describing what the meditation is, what loving kindness meditation is, but on your one page sheets, you have those four statements mm-hmm. on every single one of those. So people don't have to remember them. Um, that's right. 
just follow along. So it's, yeah, so good. Exactly. Yes. And we also, one thing we should mention is that the practice is also outlined on the sheet, which is nice too. So if you're just transitioning to loving kindness and maybe you're on day two, but you're not quite sure what the practice does, there's a little tiny paragraph that says loving kindness is, and then it reminds you what you're supposed to be doing for the day. Yeah. That was helpful too, because some of these take some getting used to, you know, if they're they're a new practice, it can be a little challenging. Uh, Let's talk about devotional meditation because you said that maybe people are unfamiliar with that, but I think it's also, when I read through it anyway, I thought I've done this before again, also potentially accidentally, Um, but, uh, um, but it seems to be like a really accessible Mm-hmm. Uh, way into this if you're if you're kind of thinking oh I don't know um, I think it's the last one you have listed right it is um, because for me it felt like the culmination of all mm-hmm. the the methods and the practice so devotional meditation mm-hmm. is simply putting God in the center and putting all of our energy and focus on God and so in the Greek and the Orthodox Church the Greek word is theoria which means contemplation or gazing at God mm-hmm. and so it's the idea that we're sending all of our devotion toward God which in some cases is pretty rare for us as Christians because we want God to come down to us and be accessible to us and be, pay attention to us, right? So it's turning the tables. So we devote all of our attention toward God, and we can do that through the Jesus prayer, which is simply, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, which is, comes from the Orthodox tradition. Or you can even use a psalm, be still and know that I am God, or your favorite line from your favorite hymn. It can be anything from scripture, hymn, taze, something you write yourself, anything that shows devotion towards God and puts God in the center such that you have, it's it's the feeling of having your own little mini three-minute worship service in the morning mm-hmm. is what it feels like. And it really it recalibrates you again, because you're putting God at the center. Instead of saying, God, I need all these things done from you today. You're saying, God, I adore you. I'm going to be devoted to you and I'm holding space for this today. So that's what the devotional practice is is about. Okay. That's, that's really cool. Um, what about the, what about the other the other ones, because um, I think maybe we have time for just uh, kind of a brief description of one of the either breath or what was the one that was after that? Lectio. Oh, Lectio okay. Divina. Or centering. Mm-hmm. Centering as well. Oh, centering. Yes, of course. Yeah. So centering meditation. Talks lots about breath. So maybe maybe talk mm-hmm. about the centering one. Yeah. Absolutely. Centering meditation comes from centering prayer, although they are different because centering prayer is an actual school of thought that has very specific steps. So I want to make, mm-hmm. make and I've had folks on the podcast talking about centering prayer before. Oh, great. So folks can reference those episodes to check that out. So centering meditation, I do it a little bit differently. So I open the space just like I would on a normal day. I've got my freedom statement, my be still and know, and then I hold the space in silence for a word that comes to me from the Holy Spirit. Okay. So I'm very intentional about 
okay, God, I'm open to this word. And I always know it's from the Holy Spirit because some days I will force my word, right? Like I'll say, I want this word today (laughs) and I'll repeat it and hold it over and over in my mind. And then something like nudges at me and like, no, 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 this isn't your word for the day. This is your word for the day. So most of the time it works really, really well, but it's just a matter of, I sort of envisioning it. I, I, I hold the space and I open up my hands, right? So that it's like a, a cup that I'm receiving this word that I'm going to hold. And some days the word is really unexpected. The first day I did this, the word was starve. And I thought, what does Mm -hmm. that mean, right? Starve. Ooh. And I was kind of thought, am I hungry? What's going on here? And I, you know, try not to overanalyze it, but really I was, I was hungry for God, right? I was starving for this time to be still and know, and I didn't know it. So I always pay attention to that. And centering is actually one of my favorite ones to do because often your word will carry with you throughout the day. And it might even be a really tough word like doubt, right? It might be something that you need to wrestle with, but it's really cool to be open in that space and see what comes to you through the Holy Spirit in that moment. Again, holding space for all of this, trying to quiet our minds, quiet our chatting. Obviously I'm a talkative person and just listen. And that's hard. Yeah. Do you, do you find that like there's certain times of day or places that are, that are better for you? Yes. And in the first chapter I, I have, I go through several questions to help people try to figure out what's going to be best for them. I live with a former monastic who is, is Hindu. So he's a devout Hindu who's a former monastic, which means he gets up every morning at 4 a.m. no matter what, which is super annoying, right? <laughs> super annoying. But I'm like, well, heck, I'm already up. So, okay, God, here we go. So I do mine first thing in the morning, except for, I will say this, I I read the Young and the Restless recap episode to wake up first. There's a Canadian blogger who blogs about it every day. So I read Tony's Young and the Restless spoiler from Canada in the morning. And then when my eyes are finally open after a cup of coffee, I sit and I do um, my silent meditation. So the morning is good because it's before, you know, you've had a chance to kind of all, your brain is just going crazy from all the to-dos. But you can do this anytime. Let's say you work night shifts, you know? This is why you're a perfect person to talk about this because you read a Young and the Restless recap. <laughs> Yes. From Canada. Yay, yeah, Canada. Well, what did I do this morning? I got up this morning a little bit extra early to watch the third period of the hockey game that was on last night because they were playing on the West Coast. So I couldn't, I was too tired last night. So I PBR'd it and got up early and watched that. So oh, that makes you, know, you feel so you much better, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> We try to make it real and keep it real here, right? Oh, yeah. Virtuality yeah. for ordinary people. That is right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so good. Um, Thank you. Wow. Uh, how do you recover from the Young and the Restless uh, <laughs> recap? I don't know. Well, we, we are always restless. And so I figure it's a good tie-in to remind me yet again. Sure. That's really good. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that you would want to share uh, with our listeners here that might be encouraging or helpful for them? Yes, I, there's, there's a few things I would, first I would say, try it, you know, try Christian meditation. Even if you're a skeptic, try it for a few days, see what happens, be open. The second is no judgment, no judgment. That has been the biggest learning curve this year. I'm finally at a place where I can do three minutes 
and it may have gone horribly. It may have gone great, but I'm still like, you know what? I showed up this morning. I did the practice and that is a wonderful feeling. And I know it's made a difference. And also I want, I hope that people will use this for liturgical seasons, seasons of their lives. The book comes out January 1. So hopefully it would be an ideal New Year's resolution for folks. Lent will be coming up shortly. We're just getting to Advent now. I really hope that this 40-day journey will at least help people establish a habit, but also, of course, draw them nearer to God by making space to listen for God. That's my ultimate prayer for this book. That's great. Thanks, Dana. Thank is, you. Um, where can people connect with you online and uh, slash get the book? I'm assuming everywhere for the book. Absolutely. Amazon. Yes, you can get the book anywhere books are sold, but you can pre-order now so that it will be on your doorstep before hopefully January 1. Yeah. So you can pre-order through Amazon or through Upper Room Books. And you can find me at jdanatrent.com and at jdanatrent on Twitter and Instagram and jdanatrent author on Facebook. So I'd love to connect with people and hear how it's going. So please reach out. You are a fun person to follow on Instagram, actually. Thank so you. That's I, I I enjoy Instagram, so people um, can find me there too. Find yes. Oh, I'm really this this last little bit. I have not been as active, <laughs> but but yeah, you're a fun person to follow. Your some of your pictures are great. So thank you. Uh, I appreciate that, Matt. And I think your 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 true personality, that at least uh, the the true personality that I know, um, which is which is limited. Like we've met, you know, once and then a couple of times on on the internet. Um, but I feel like it really actually shines through through that profile. So I think that's a good, like, it seemed like, I don't know, am I right or wrong? Do you think Thank I'm you. Right? Gosh, yes. No, I, I think that's, that's okay. spot on. Thank good. you. Good. Well, you've made my day. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So people should go follow you there, but they should also go and grab uh, this awesome book. Um, whether you're seasoned or whether you are a beginner or skeptical, for sure, if you're skeptical of meditation, but you're thinking, oh, I guess I should probably take a look at this this is this is the book for you so i hope people go and get it thanks again matt for having me yeah you're welcome thanks for listening today i hope you found this one helpful and if you are continuing to find these podcasts uh, something that you listen to regularly and want to keep on listening to um, i would love it if you were able to leave a review on itunes so that other listeners can find this podcast Um, And feel free to recommend the podcast to your friends. You can also reach out to me if you've got feedback to give to me directly, or if you would like to just uh, let me know what you think or ask a question. I'm always available, so you can feel free to send me an email at matt at mattbruff.com, M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-G-H.com. And uh, I'm also fairly active on Instagram these days. There's an Instagram for this show, Spirituality for Ordinary People. If you just search for that on Instagram, you'll find it. Uh, Or just my uh, personal profile, uh, Matt or Matthew Bruff. Uh, Would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Take care.